What if I told you there is a cloud accounting ERP system that has over 5 million users worldwide, and this ERP system only has one accounting firm listed in their find an accountant directory for all of North America? I'm guessing you're thinking, it sounds like an opportunity to get new clients and grow your firm. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Odoo, later in the episode. Everybody's just getting in each other's lanes. And we talked about this in our prediction episode. Like, we're starting to see everybody getting each other's lanes now. That And so that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if, if, if you're spending on credit cards, right, you also need to send checks. You might need to pay a vendor not with a credit card. So that's, that's why they... It's kind of building that full circle of like, oh, one-stop shop, you do everything in here. And even the Divi blog post, I was, I was reading it, right? And they talked about, you know, their history of starting Divi, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about how the customers hate using multiple software systems to manage their finances. Today is Saturday, May 8th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, you, last week you told everybody you're, uh, how uh, we're switching to zeros in our accounting platform. And you get people so excited on the interwebs <laughs> that I'm being tagged in all these posts. People want me to take some like course or training course on this now and some zero training, like collaboration thing. I just like don't have time for this. Like it's just like you gave me the tour this week and it's just, and they're poking around. It, it feels a little Coke and Pepsi, right? It's very similar <laughs> I can navigate zero because I have 20 years knowledge of QuickBooks. They're very similar. The one thing, though, I do like the concept that zero has that is not really in QuickBooks that they have on bills and invoices, this like kind of draft status, draft and then approved yeah. status. Like I think that field is huge. Like, yes. Just that, 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 that's kind of a big deal. And then I do like how you can have your own like payment buttons. Mm-hmm. So for example, I work at Melio. Of course, I want to use Melio for people to pay us. And in Zero, I can cook up a button that connects right to Melio. Yes, you're not locked in. Which I could never do in QuickBooks. In QuickBooks, I just had to give my URL. Right. So so that's kind of cool too. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm glad you like it. Um, I, You know, I like stirring the pot a little bit. And uh, the cult of Zero is now after David Leary. And uh, you're an initiate now. So you can look forward to everyone showing up at your door and trying to get you to come to their uh, their services. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I'd like to use, you know, I'm using both, which is good because I still have yeah, other things on yeah. QuickBooks. So, um, and actually at the same time though, is you, cause you still have a client, right? Yes. And that's why I've got my zero subscription going. I mean, I use it for all my own stuff cause I was a zero guy for a long time. But you don't have any clients on QuickBooks. Like you need to get a second client on so I, I do. QuickBooks experience. So, so your job, David, is to figure out how to get me using QuickBooks again. Now, remember I started out as a QuickBooks guy a long time ago. So like I'm familiar with yeah. it, but not the latest stuff that's happened over the last few years. So we have to create a whole nother entity. Yeah, we need to start a new business. Another a business, new business. And we'll run And then we should we should start like an a huge enterprise so that way we can use like Odoo, who are, who's one of our sponsors, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like we create this huge gigantic org just so we can use Odoo to run our business. We we should create the nightmare organization of subsidiaries for some controller and each one would be on a different accounting system. So that we could test them all. And their job is to consolidate it. <laughs> <laughs> this does not sound like a great idea at all. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay Financial. Do your clients use banks that make it harder for you to close the books? Do they make it harder to deliver financial visibility for clients? I'm guessing you said yes to both these questions. And that's because traditional banks aren't designed for your relationships with your small business clients. Thankfully, Relay Financial is. Relay is FDIC-insured online banking that makes bookkeeping easy. You can access all your clients in a single portal, enjoy rich direct bank feeds to QuickBooks Online and Zero, automate payables with multi-stage approvals, and even spin up a new checking account for clients in seconds right from your browser. To join the thousands of accounting and bookkeeping firms that are standardizing their clients on Relay, check out their partner program at cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. Let's get to the news, shall we? We've got stimulus stuff we could cover. PPP running out of money. It's done. I mean, I just can we just pause and acknowledge this? Because pretty much what 
second week of April of last year, we probably had 15 episodes in a row on nothing but PPP. We even spun up a website tracking the distribution before the main media got really involved in tracking the PPP. And I feel like there's fine, now finally closure. Now, all the other pandemic-related stuff, there's no closure on, but do we really have closure on PPP? Well, not quite, because while they've stopped accepting applications, they've still got $8 billion set aside for community financial institutions and $6 billion for the applications stuck in review status due to error codes. And that $8 billion, that was like sent to certain uh, banks that lend it to either minorities or women or other underserved communities type. Exactly. That, that was set aside yeah. for that. And so that's still available. Okay. That is through those institutions. But like most of the banks at this point have stopped accepting new applications. You can't fill well, one Well, the up. banks didn't stop. Banks weren't even told. And all of a sudden, the website was telling them they can't submit applications. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. So it would just, it's, 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 for most people, it's done. Now, so can we just stamp this in the ground like this the last time we talk about PVP? You know, I keep saying that. I've said that like two times though, so I'm a little jaded. <laughs> but we could try. There is another stimulus program though that launched this past week. The Restaurant Revitalization Fund has initial results from the SBA. This is a program that provides restaurants and other eligible businesses with grants equal to their pandemic-related revenue loss up to $10 million per business and no more than $5 million per physical location. Big deal. Up to the amount of their pandemic-related revenue loss, making them completely whole, theoretically. And you can use it on anything, not just on payroll. So basically, what the PPP probably should have been in the first place. So who applied for this? Who got money? More than 186,000 restaurants, bars, and other food and beverage businesses applied for this assistance from this uh, $28.6 billion fund during the first two days. The window opened on May 3rd. So it sounds like the money's going to go pretty darn fast if we've got closing in on 200,000 institutions already going after $28 billion. So if you haven't gotten your application, you should do that pretty quickly. I guess during the first 21 days, SBA is holding the applications and they're going to prioritize applications from small businesses owned by women, veterans, and socially and economically disadvantaged individuals. After that, it's a first come first serve basis. So get your applications in now uh, and because it's going to be first come first serve after that initial round. And that's everything I have for stimulus. We're done for stimulus. Although I do have an item uh, about the Biden administration's IRS plan. And I have an IRS article, so want to jump into that? And then yeah. Just all the political stuff. What's your IRS news? So every time I mean, we've been bagging on the IRS, they don't have enough funding, they don't have enough funding, they don't have enough funding. And, it, and it's causing delays in people's tax returns, right? Now, the newest problem is they don't have ink for the printers. <laughs> so wh- wh- how? how what? So the contract for supplies, that ser- and supplies and services of the printers, it ended in September of 2020. So now 69 of 164 devices, basically 42%, are just not usable as of March 30th, 2021. So this is from the Inspector General for the Tax uh, Administration, Treasury Inspector General. Wonderful. So what are they doing? I mean, is this is this part of the problem, or is this just it? It just it's just another piece of this. It's funding, right? Yeah. Just it's it's somebody whoever whoever's job it was to make sure the contract for that was active it fell yeah, through yeah. and and there were the one stat they gave so as of march 5th the agency issued 36 million tax refunds last year at the same time it was 52 million refunds were mm. processed so they're just they're down they're everything's behind 30 percent, and it makes sense right if 40 40 percent of your printers are broken staffing's down 40 percent. everything's going to be slow i'm picturing some irs agent at the office having an office space kind of moment with the printer you know walking over to it <laughs> and going nuts on it because it won't work. And and some of them, apparently some of the printers, the, I guess like laser printers, sometimes they have like an exhaust cartridge. Mm. Like there's a waste cartridge of some type, like those are full and they have no service to come empty those. It's just a, a mess. And, and the thing is they're going to need way more funding because ink cartridges are like the most expensive thing on the planet. So black gold, <laughs> black gold, baby. They're going to need another $80 billion <laughs> just to buy ink. <laughs> HP, suddenly their stock skyrockets. Skyrockets. Well, I have some IRS news, and then we'll close this out. The Biden plan for the IRS that we talked about last week that would give the IRS $80 billion over the next 10 years 
to go after high net worth uh, individuals, the wealthy, to audit them more, to increase taxpayer services. That same plan buried in there is that the IRS would then have the authority to regulate tax preparers. This is something the IRS has been trying to do for a long time, but has never been able to get authority to do. And there were some court cases that um, struck down this. It, it, it's not something that they currently have the ability to do. Well, Congress... What does this mean, the word regulate? Like, well, give like, me an example of what so, they want to do or so control. The current situation is that anyone can sign up to be a tax preparer and get a, a P-10 and file taxes. And this is a big problem because the vast majority of returns are prepared by people that have no formal training. And most of the really bad tax fraud that happens with tax preparers, it's happening with those people, not with CPAs, not with EAs, not with people who are professionals at this. It's it's all these amateurs. And so what this would do, I mean, we don't know specifically what the IRS would do in terms of regulating preparers, but the you know, things they've tried to do in the past is force people to take a test to ensure that they know what they're doing. Not necessarily really arduous stuff. Obviously, they have the enrolled agent. Level. Right. Like, like you can become an enrolled agent and that that's some level of like a testing certification. But they're kind of saying like, hey, just to even press the file button, we want people to pass some basic like, like, like a pre-EA level, like just something. The IRS created the whole enrolled agent thing in order to have like a class of preparers who actually know what they're doing. But they can't, it's optional, right? You can't force people to, they, they need something in between that and what you, the completely unregulated preparers. Well, some of it, the branding's bad for EA. Any small business owner, nobody knows what an EA is. It looks like administrative assistant or something. Like it doesn't, it, it just sounds- It's not well known. It's not well known. So if you're, if you're looking to get your taxes done, you don't know the difference between somebody who's not an EA and somebody who is, there's no, it's not, it's not like it should be like certified IRS tax preparer. Like should be the branding. Yeah. And and that should be the name and that should be the logo and the badge they get for their website and their business cards. But because they already have this program, it's just, it's branded horribly and people don't know they should use it. So I don't know my feeling. This probably some sort of regulation is a good idea so that we don't have people just running around, you know, don't know what they're doing. But I, I can see how this would concern uh, tax preparers. Like they don't want another administrative hoop to jump through. So, you know, hopefully it, it would exempt, you know, CPAs, EAs, people who are already licensed so that, you know, we don't have to go through more. So uh, where, where, where do we want to go from here? We're done with taxes. I mean, we have there's major app, app news this week. Before we get into the app news, let's talk about the best firms for technology. Accounting Today came out with its 2021 list of the best firms for technology. I feel like they've done this for a few years now. And I- Just talk about the, before you go into the list, like to talk about the criteria for this, like how do they determine that that firm is great with technology? So that's a really good question. And I have to be honest, I didn't read the full report, but if you go to the page, if you, <laughs> well, if you go to the show notes, you can get the report, but also you can, you can go to the um, post on accounting today, the article online, that lists the best firms for technology. And under each firm, there's a little summary. It lists where they're located, the number of partners and staff, and then two tech-related metrics. One is the average number of hours of tech training per employee per year. You know, that's that's a good idea. Get, get a good idea of if a firm's good for technology, if you as a staff are going to be trained in it. And then the last metric, though, is kind of funny. It's the average number of computer screens per employee. <laughs> well, okay. So, because I've seen this like solo practitioner guys that are crazy uh -huh. and they get like five monitors yeah. and they have like their tablet open, their iPad and the thing. Like in theory, that guy should just win the whole thing. Well, yeah. I've been, actually, wait, but like, I've been to your office at your house and you have like two giant TVs and you have like a 70 inch TV in your little office. And then you got your computer, your laptop and a second monitor. You got like, you should be the top, top choice in this. No, I, so I think this metric, I, I understand why this metric exists because for a long time, when you walked into a CPA firm, the way that you could tell the tech savvy ones versus the non-tech savvy ones is that at the non-tech savvy firms, 
everybody had a single square monitor and they were forced to do all their work switching back and forth between apps on that single display. And it was obviously a giant waste of time. And then the tech savvy firms had two. Okay. And so, so you could actually, one time that was the measure. The easy, yeah. Easy I mean, at one, it. at one time, but I mean, you know, what God, what, like 20 years ago, I don't know how long it's been since people had multiple monitors. I feel like it's been a while. And so I can see why that would be a metric, but it's kind of funny today because at a certain point, once you get past like two or three screens, there's not a lot of benefit. And so of course, yeah, all, I mean, it, it would be crazy to me if, if there are firms that still exist that only have one screen for your staff, that's just insane, right? Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's places where they just provide a laptop and that's it. And you, you, you have to take your own initiative to track down a second monitor. I think the laptop actually would be a step up. There's probably places where you still have a desktop computer with one screen, right? And you can't even take it home. Um, so, so, but, so let's, let's play hypothetical. How do we define it? So here's the thing though. Like, so that metric doesn't work anymore too. Cause now we have widescreen computer screens. So that's I could true. just, that's I could true. just use one screen and still have Costco as much has that one. That's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like 27 inches wide. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I do. I have my laptop hooked up to a widescreen monitor and I just use my laptop screen for, you know, Slack and then everything else is on the main screen. But yeah, so that's, it's a, it's an obsolete metric. And that's why I thought it was funny uh, that that's on in this article. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but congratulations to Lance CPA group. Josh Lance is a, a listener to the show, a friend of a friend of mine. And, um, and his firm is here. And funny enough, they only have two screens per employee, uh, like all these other firms, a lot of them have three, um, but they do have 20 hours of tech training per employee per year. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I can see a way to, to yeah. Do, are, are your, are your employees certified in X number of apps? Do you have, um, are you using any like no code tools? Like there's probably a lot of ways to measure this in a different way. You know? Yeah. Or how about like cloud versus desktop? Like how many of your applications are hosted? In the cloud now, did they list Pilot, Botkeep, all these accounting firms with engineers? Are any of those companies on this list? Oh no, this is all like Anderson and Cooper, Aronson and Burson, Eisner, Amper. You know what I mean? It's like traditional firm names. Um, although Dark Horse Certified Public Accountants is on the list here. But uh, you lot- argue Pilot is arguably possibly more of a tech firm. They, they, they're a higher tech firm than. These other ones, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. The, the thing is, these this media. We, we should do an episode every week where we make David and Blake's top five this because they get lots of clicks, right? Right, right, these, right. These top list are these, these listicles. Well, we should come up with our own criteria and create our own award. N- number mo- most employees are subscribed to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and then you get, you could be number one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's that, that's our criteria. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. Here's another story kind of related to this. Um, so if you are working in a firm that is not on this list, what are the tasks that you dread the most? As a knowledge worker, what are the tasks that non-tech savvy people dread the most? Uh, this is a stat from a Zapier data report. And I thought it was interesting. The most dreaded task for knowledge workers is data entry. This and other mindless tasks, which are easily automated, take up an average of 17.3 hours a week, almost half the work week. That kind of blows my mind. So 
Knowledge workers, like accountants, bookkeepers, are spending 17.3 hours on data entry every week. Now, this is a Zapier report, and their entire yes. value prop is automating this. So, stop doing data entry. So it's a little I, I'm actually, I have mixed feelings about this because, like, I do, I feel like, you know, we live in, especially as knowledge workers, right? Sometimes it's hard to feel like you got any work done. Oh, yeah. Right, right. I, it, it, like, you, you get the week's done, and you're like, okay, nothing got done, versus like, a group work construction. At the end of the day, you're like, oh, there's a building that wasn't there yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you get that, that feeling of accomplishment. And I, I wonder if people don't dread it as much as they maybe say they do in a survey. Cause like, at least you're like, Hey, I have these things you type it in and you're done. And you actually, it, it kind of gives you a sense of accomplishing something. I guess it does. If that is your function, but if it's not your function, then, you know, you like, I don't know. So I spend a lot of, I spend time in meetings. Those are generally not productive. Most most meetings, you don't actually do work unless it's like a working meeting, but most aren't. So you're, you're in meetings, you're responding to emails, you're doing data entry. The actual work that you do may only be a few hours a day in the case of many knowledge workers. So, you know, that's why it's frustrating. And, and I think like a lot of busy season work in the accounting world isn't actually the core job. It's more just like answering emails, corresponding with people, trying to get information from people. Yeah. I get frustrated when I have to do data entry. That should be somebody else's job. And what I mean by that, I listened to an interview with Cal Newport. Have you heard about Cal Newport yet? Maybe some of our listeners have. He wrote that new book, like The End of Email or mm-hmm. A World of Working Without Email. It's, it's all about like kind of we're broken as organizations. It reminded me of a, a time at Intuit back when I was doing tech support and back in the floppy diskette days. And people used to get their tax tables mailed to them on a three and a half inch floppy diskette. And sometimes this would show up in the mail and the metal door would be broken off. So I feel like we probably have listeners that don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine before you 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 had cloud software that just downloaded something from the cloud, you'd get a floppy diskette with the tax table updates and you'd upload it to QuickBooks and then you'd have the new taxes. And then if there was new taxes that changed next month, you'd get a new floppy diskette and you'd upload it. Sometimes these would get damaged for every reason, right? Uh, maybe they got exposed to radiation and they got erased. Who knows, right? People mm-hmm. would get bad disks. And there was a time where all you did is you got the customer's name and address and you walked up to a shipping counter and said, hey, I need this ship to here. And you give them the disk and they put an envelope, they mailed it, they did all the shipping. And, and as an organization, it was super efficient because I could focus on my job, which is helping customers. And the shipping department focuses on their job. But what's happened over time in organizations, everybody solves for themselves. So somebody in that organization is like, all I do all day is create envelopes and ship stuff and type in names and addresses into the shipping software or whatever it might be. And so what they did is they stopped doing that and they basically trained a thousand employees that were taking phone calls at Intuit to use this other shipping software. And then you're, so you're basically doing data entry into an app and I had to be like all this like questions about shipping knowledge. I didn't know what, you know, you're just picking fields or clicking them. Like that's the frustrating part about data entry is when you're doing something that shouldn't be your core job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that, but it's interesting because he talks about that in this book. Like everybody optimizes for their own thing and it hurts the entire org. And that's just, that's what we're in right now in US business. So let's talk about app news. Yeah. Uh, Big news this week Bill.com acquired Divi. So, David, you it's big big news. I mean, huge news. Now, we should news. say up front, you work at Melio, which is a payments app. So you are in this space. So so I'm so so I mean in this space, Bill.com sponsored a podcast in the past. Because there's certain times somebody tr- who sponsors a podcast, they might use Bill.com, so they pay us through Bill.com. I I've been using Divi for a long time. I, I use Divi. Um, I feel like it's overkill for my business because it's it's a little bit upmarket. Mm-hmm. But I use Divi. So like I'm familiar with the products. Both of us are familiar with the products. So yeah. So tell me like about, so why do you think, maybe we should just talk about the details of the acquisition. Then we'll talk about why this happened or why we think this happened. Bill.com is spending $2.5 billion to acquire Divi. And that's split, right? Like some cash and some stock? Yes. Yeah, $625 million in cash and $1.875 billion of Bill.com shares. Divi in January set its valuation at 1.6 billion. So it's a tiny premium on their valuation from January. So basically think of this, it's like Divi shareholders are getting bill.com stock with a little sweetener. So it's really 625 million in cash is what's what's happening, right? For bill.com. And 
there was an interesting stat here uh, about you know, how many customers Divi has. So I did the math. Uh, Divi has 7,500 small businesses on its platform. So if you take the cash outlay of 625 million, divide that by 7,500 customers, Bill.com is paying $83,000 per customer, which seems like a lot, but I think there's a lot more going on here with this acquisition. That, that's terms. a better deal than Bezos <laughs> got investing in Pilot. <laughs> I think that was a hundred thousand dollars a customer. Oh, was it? Investment. Yeah, yeah, it was close to it, right? Um, so, so it can't just be for the customers, right? And the future cash flows from Divi. There's, there's got to be more to it from a you know synergy perspective. So, so let's talk about for our listeners, uh, David. I mean, maybe you can explain this, like. What is the core value of Bill.com? Like, what do they do? And then what does Divi do? And then why is this either a good idea or a bad so idea? Bill.com Bill is all about automation. They, they really lead with automation. Automated automated bill payment. But you scan the bill, they have bill payment, but then they have the accounts receivable side as well. Right. So you have Bill.com. Is is accounts payable, accounts receivable. Right. And like like very uh, uh, workflow-driven AP, AR. Exactly. Like, and, and, but really big on the AP side. Like, I don't know. Do you? I don't know if the AR side was ever even nearly as big as, as AP. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem that that way based on like looking at the decks and things like that. So so essentially you have that side, but but they're up market, right? Bigger, medium, and enterprise level businesses. Well, what's one of the major things those businesses also have? They have purchase and procurement process and they have expense reports and employees that need virtual cards and budgets and all that. And that's the stuff Divi does. So Divi is those... I haven't used Divi, so I'm actually just learning a lot about it right now, today. They do the virtual credit card thing, the corporate virtual cards, physical cards, and and where I where I can control the you know amount that each employee has every month. It's like very sophisticated. Very similar to Brex, very similar to Ramp, very similar to Airbase. Got it. In a way, they're all very similar, right? I'm making this really, really overly simplified, but all these companies are very similar. You connect your bank account to Stripe so they can see how much money you have. You mean Divi? No, no. You connect your bank. So, so you're using the app. Let's, this is gener- let's, let's, u- David and Blake are going to create a company just like this. Okay. Here's what we do. So we're using Divi. We ha- oh, no. We're cre- no, no, no. We're creating a company <laughs> talking, just like Divi. You're talking about I'm, I'm gonna t- how Divi works. How they work. Okay, how they work, essentially, it. right? And so you connect to Stripe, the bank account. Mm-hmm. They can see how much money you have and they adjust your credit kind of off that. So on one hand, they're connecting to Stripe to access your bank account information and money and, and move money out of your bank account to pay the credit card. Then on the other side, they're using the MasterCard or Visa APIs to create credit cards instantly for your employees. Or um, like I like to create a virtual card for each SaaS app I sign up for. So if that SaaS app ever gets hacked or something, it's siloed now, right? And that's essentially it. So, so this is why so many companies are, are, are appearing like this. Because right? because the they're just using off the shelf uh, platforms to build these things, and then they build around it this whole manage software management layer, where if I'm the controller or the business owner, I can issue all these cards to my employees, and then set very specific rules about what what they can spend it on, how much they can spend. I get a lot more control, and so you're getting a lot of functionality for free because. They're playing the uh, arbitrage game, right? They're, they're 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 getting that float, right? So that's the thing about these these services like Brex and Divi's. They seem like almost too good to be true because a lot of times they're free or like super cheap, and and like you, so they're making money when you spend on that card. They get a cut of that credit card processing fee from Visa, Mastercard, and and the merchant yeah, services like that. So that's that's essentially the business. But Divi actually added bill payment. Um, just like Expensify had a bill payment and Brex had a bill payment. Like everybody's just getting in each other's lanes. And we talked about this in our prediction episode. Like we're starting to see everybody get in each other's lanes now. That And so that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if, you, if, if you're spending on credit cards, right, you also need to send checks. You might need to pay a vendor, not with a credit card. So that's, that's why they... It's kind of building that full circle of like, oh, one-stop shop, you do everything in here. And even the Divi blog post, I was, I was reading it, right? And... It, they talked about, you know, their history of starting Divi, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about how the customers hate using multiple software systems to manage their finances. And then they talk about, hey, it, now it's going to bring you, quote unquote, a one-stop shop platform that you've been asking for. And these two businesses will allow you to have a single solution for all your payments needs. No more wasting time on manual work. No more staying out late at the office to close the books. No more waiting for a tool that does everything you need. So let's just really pay attention to these words, one-stop shop. You never have to use different apps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if you knew this. About 18 months ago, 
there's a there's a, a cloud accounting package out there called Zipbooks, Z-I-P books. Divi acquired Zipbooks <laughs> quietly. Now Bill.com owns a cloud accounting software package that competes with QuickBooks Zero, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this is really interesting. Is Divi powered by Bill.com's AP and with its own GL going to grow into not just full spend management, AP expense reports, but also categorizing those expenses in, in a GL, right? Producing yeah. the reports. So, like, like we were talking uh, just last week about um, Brex doing this. Yeah. And, and actually, I think last week I said like, Divi's going to do this stuff too. Like this is like, they're all on that same March. Like everybody wants to be QuickBooks. Everybody's trying to be QuickBooks. Yeah. Like this is the March everybody's on. So you can get in the why, but, but I do want to like, because I have an article speaking of QuickBooks about Rene Lissert's last company. And we can jump into that, that he sold to Intuit because this whole promise of this, like one software system, it's all together and one, like, it's all going to be merged together all perfectly. It's all great on paper. But the reality is tomorrow, if you're a Divi customer and Bill.com customer, I guarantee you still have two logins. This is not <laughs> one seamless solution. And, and so how long does it become a one-stop shop? And, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the whole Intuit payroll announcements um, that well, went on. But you said you have a theory of why this happened. Well, so Bill.com, first, I want to get out there and say that I love Bill.com. I had the accounts payable part of my practice built around Bill.com for years. And it was a core, probably... I think I even said once it was the most important app in my stack because I didn't have anything else that could do what Bill.com did. Oh, they were first. They were first. I, I could switch to market. I, yeah. I could switch from zero to QuickBooks or to some other GL. I could have different expense management tools. I could have different payroll solutions, but there was nothing other than Bill.com in terms of actually pay, you know, getting those bills into one place, having my clients approve them, and then sending out the payments, either ACH or paper check. No one else did it. But then Within a matter of five years, 10 years, less than 10 years, all of these other competitors popped up. And Bill.com is a 20-year-old company. So they have a lot of technical debt. And I think anyone who uses Bill.com now or who has used it recently will tell you that the interface leaves a lot to be desired. It's not as modern. And things change really fast in tech. And I haven't used Divi, but just looking at their website, I'm going to guess that they're US user interface is a lot st more streamlined. Uh, it, uh, so visually, yes, it's it's nice looking. Visually, mm -hmm. like it is cumbersome because it, and it's fundamentally the nature of the product, right? Each card could have its own budget. People can have budgets. Departments can have budgets. The physical cards can have budgets. And so some of this too is, I mean, I, I was using Divi very early and I think this has changed over time. But like I arguably like... I feel like I need somebody to manage Divi full time for me. So it's so it's up market, right? Like you, like it's not like you have to have a staff person that's managing Divi because every time I turn around, my car. The reason I like, just rewind. The reason I use Divi is because I love the concept of virtual cards. Because if you've ever had your credit card get hacked or stolen, and you had to go fix it across a hundred companies, oh yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Your, it's a total pain yeah. in the butt. And so in theory, virtual cards, I never will have that experience. But what's happened is every single month because these budgets and rollover and they reset and you know maybe a SaaS app you added a user now now the charge is going to be higher than it was the previous month i constantly get notifications from divi that about charges being declined all the time so i'm constantly going to divi and i never know what i'm clicking on i'm always moving dials and clicking things and i'm like oh increase the budget here i almost have to nuke the whole thing i think it might <laughs> reset everything up but but you need to have somebody manage it so right. even though visually it looks good and I'm a, I feel like I'm a smart guy. I do not know how, like, of the, I, I just start increasing budgets everywhere. I'm like, okay, increase the budget for me. And then does that look, there's like sub budgets. Does that let me increase this one? No. Okay. Try to move that to 200. Now can I move this to hundred? Like it's, 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 it's enterprise software. Really. You have to have somebody manage it to be your expert person. Just, I mean, in a way, build.com's a little bit enterprise. Well, and you know? can, you can see that in their customer numbers, right? Divi having 7,500, they say small businesses, but. I think these are probably closer to the mid-size 
when we talk about SMB at small and medium businesses. And and I think like a nonprofit, Stevie makes a lot of sense for because you can you have a lot of volunteers, you spin up a temporary card for somebody to run to Home Depot, same thing with contractors. Like like it has a really good use case. And I've told a lot of people that it just might be overkill for my teeny little business. Exactly. And then you're not you're not the ideal customer for a Divi, but I guarantee you, I just have a feeling it's <laughs> you know, this is miles streets ahead. This is this is streets ahead of any other method of doing this, like the way people used to do it. And the reason that bill.com, well, I think what, here's what I think is going to happen. Here's without any inside information. My guess is that bill.com is going to take its AP features. It has this whole backend of bank relationships and networks. It's built its own network for ACH. And it's going to put that in, stick that into Divi. So now you're going to have all the features of bill.com, like the AP power that it took them years and years to build with these banking relationships in Divi. And that's going to be the interface. That's what's going to grow. So they're buying Divi for the tech, right? Yeah. Or, or you mean, obviously, Bill.com does a lot of stuff with the banks. Yeah. And the bank's dream is they want to own everything. Like they want a small business to use the bank and get their GL, get their account, their accounts payable, get their, their, their virtual cards spun up for their employees. And now Bill.com can go to the banks and know, Hey, I know, you're, you're looking because we've talked about there's other accounting software packages that are specializing in selling cloud software to the banks. Step, now, step Bill.com for a second, can bring though. a package, yeah, so, a package to the banks. So Bill.com white labels their product for banks. Yes. Bre- Brex is an existential threat to banks because Brex is a bank. Bill.com is not a bank. Yep. So Bill.com can go to all the banks and say, look, we've got a full stack solution, AP expense management, and we can help you compete with these neo banks. Oh, exactly, exactly, right? So, so that that's another piece. Of this. Another reason I think this may have happened is that crazy raise that Divi had. I'm sorry, that Brex had last week, four hundred twenty-five so, million. Yeah. So let's take let's go back 18, 20 months ago. So remember Spritz card? Yes. The, remember, so when QuickBooks Live was first announced, um, the Spritz guys they used to be at GoDaddy or something. And they wrote they had a company and it was a very similar, the smaller, and it was really for smaller businesses, right? And it was a instant credit virtual thing, super easy to use. You sign up, you get the card, blah, 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 has a nice app. One of these solutions, right? That back when Divi and Brex both got like $30 million rounds, the Spritz guys were like, we're done. We're out. They just quit. They shut the whole thing down. They're like- Well, they couldn't raise money. They couldn't raise money that fast. And I'm wondering if Brex took that $450 million round and Divi was like, oh, we got to make a move now. Because like, or even bill.com. Like, I wonder how much of that raise last week affected this decision announcement. Obviously, it didn't just happen in seven yeah, days. These things take a long before, time. Yeah. But it also went from a rumor of $2 billion to $2.5 billion like that. So <laughs> that other $500 million came from somewhere. So I, I got one more story to round out this, this whole theme. We're talking about expense reimbursements. We're talking about spend management payments. And there's a really interesting stat from CFO Magazine their metric of the month series, their, their metric of the month is total cost to process TNDE reimbursements, travel and expense reimbursements. So this is really tied to like this whole expense reporting thing, this whole- So, so this is, I'm an enterprise. I have employees that do uh, time and travel. They do exp- expense t- or travel and they have expense reports. And now I have to manage all this. And there's, it's a cost to me as a business owner or an, an enterprise. Right. And so you know, if you're a finance team, accounting team, you want to know- how much does it actually cost us to process an expense report? Because you want to get that down, right? You don't want to be, you don't want it to cost more to process an expense report than the actual expense, right? That's, yes, yes, yes. Makes sense. So this is one of the, the biggest differences I've ever seen in one of these reports from the top performers to the bottom performers. Okay. It costs a top performer in the APQC database. So mostly medium, larger businesses, $1 and 10 cents to process a T&E disbursement. So to David, for me to ex- reimburse you for your expense report. So so because I'm using an Sensify product or a Divi product or whatever I'm using, the, the employee just takes it, takes a photo of the receipt, boom, it shows up and maybe it's already connected to their bank account and, it, and it's a low enough amount, it's an instant approval and it, and it brings my cost down to a dollar to do the work. And the only way it could be that low, I think, given the processing fees is if it is almost completely automated. So top performers, a dollar and ten cents per TE disbursement. Median performers, seven dollars and eighty cents. And bottom performers, fourteen dollars and fifty cents. 
Is that, that that's like each check. So, each so if check. I submit a, a reimbursement for eight dollars for a lunch, it costs the company fourteen dollars to track and reimburse me my eight bucks. Yeah, just to for that one expense report. If that expense report had like one item on it, right, which can often happen. So uh, p- people should be using this. Like, all our listeners should be using this to like send an email to clients. Like, like this is an easy upsell service for you now. And and so this is all because I'm guessing the bottom performers are using paper checks. And Excel spreadsheets, right? You're you're emailing in some PDF with a receipt, and the the uh, AP department has to create a bill and pay you with a check. Like, and that looks like the numbers that I've seen for years about how much it costs to process a paper check, which is generally like ten to twenty dollars per check if you actually add up all the costs associated with it. So this is crazy. Like, what a good example of the value of technology in reducing costs to process payments. And so, so essentially, this justifies these valuations because, in theory, on a long enough timeline, nobody is going to, everybody's going to be in that dollar bucket. Looking at this, you would be insane not to be implementing this tech. Yeah, it's just a, it's the best ROI I've I've seen in any cloud accounting app uh, type. Well, plus, plus with these apps, what you're doing to full circle in our conversation, the expense department is essentially putting all the work onto the employees. <laughs> exactly. And and, and they're... they're <laughs> and so, so the employees doing their job, they're spending time using these apps to file their expense reports. But the, the employees themselves, I don't even know if this... They tend to like it, I think. Well, think about it this way. I don't, I don't know if this... Um, I don't know if this metric calculates the employee time, but like when employees have to do manual expense reports, it's insanely time consuming and they hate it. So this is way better for them. They just take a picture... Auto categorizes, submits, done. You know, it's great. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Margin Driver. Designed by top multi channel e commerce sellers, Margin Driver transforms financial reporting and accounting in the e commerce world. Margin Driver is a real time e commerce accounting system that automates gross profit accounting, making business easier and more profitable for both you and your clients. By leveraging integrations with leading e-commerce platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, Channel Advisor, and EcomDash, marketplaces such as Amazon, eBay, Walmart, and Etsy, and shipping solutions like ShipStation, ShipWorks, and Amazon FBA, Margin Driver creates the perfect pairing for either QuickBooks or Xero to meet the unique needs of your multi-channel e-commerce clients. Margin Driver's real-time dashboards and reports incorporate it all, including the fees, refunds, shipping, and fulfillment costs, so that your clients can accurately calculate their cost of goods sold and profit, all the way down to the individual order level. This will give you the ability to focus your clients on the best products and pricing strategies that will have the greatest impact on their bottom line. To learn more about Margin Driver and to get a 60-day free trial, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash margin driver. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash M-A-R-G-I-N-D-R-I-V-E-R. So let's move on. Let's talk about a slightly smaller amount of money. Before we do that, let's talk about Intuit Online Payroll, because this is related directly to René Lassert, who founded Bill.com. And he had an old company called PayCycle that Intuit bought, I want to say, if my kid's going to be 14... 15 years ago, maybe Intuit bought PayCycle. So Intuit, QuickBooks, Desktop, Payroll always existed, mm. right? You had QuickBooks, Desktop, Payroll. And at long time ago, they bought a company up in Reno, Nevada that did um, full service payroll, like a you know ADP style thing. Like they still had like fax machines and people would fax in their timesheets, like a full service payroll service. So you had these two payroll services kind of out there. And then you had QuickBooks Online was starting to get some traction and at the same time, this this product out here, PayCycle, this cloud payroll app, was like growing like crazy. And Intuit started to build their own standalone payroll product inside of QuickBooks Online. And it was starting to get traction. And it was almost to feature parity with the PayCycle product, which was Renee LaSearch product. And then eventually, like, I don't know where the deal went down. And I think they bought PayCycle for like $70 million back in the day. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was like 70 million or maybe it was 170 million. It wasn't ridiculous the way some of these numbers are these days, right? It's on a $7 billion, $2 billion acquisition. So that was 15 years ago. This week, Intuit is finally shutting things down <laughs> from the acquisition and moving to one platform, if you want to call it that. Now think about all that stuff in those Divi blog posts and build.com. We're going to have one platform, one stop shop. This stuff takes a long 
time to do. So wait, so so so, so the story is that led you to all of this history is that Intuit Online Payroll, which is PayCycle, is shutting down. PayCycle, that product basically got embedded if you want to call it an iframe, inside of QuickBooks Online, and it's been skinned, et cetera. So you have PayCycle version, right, or Intuit Online Payroll, and people could just use that kind of standalone separate from QuickBooks Online. Okay. It was kind of like a standalone. And so a lot of like, there's a lot of accountants that historically were doing this for a long time where they just provide a payroll service to clients, and they were using that platform. But it kind of had its own UI. It had its own everything, right? Oh, its own branding, its own story, its own pricing, its own UI. And so Intuit has maintained this for a long time this kind of separate. And so now they're finally going to pull the plug on the one and make everybody just switch over to the one built inside of QuickBooks, the QuickBooks online payroll product. So this is what's so confusing to me sometimes with Intuit is that you had an, a separate payroll product that kind of looked like it was inside of QuickBooks, but it actually wasn't. And then you had a product that was called QuickBooks online payroll. Which, which I think they're the same. So at one time before Intuit purchased basically, they had their own payroll code. Right inside of QuickBooks, bought PayCycle, killed that, embedded PayCycle inside of QuickBooks Online, and it's been like that forever. Oh, oh, I get it. Okay, so you could use it separately though. It, was, it's, and it that still had a separate called... app, separate branding, separate okay. colors, exactly. And they're finally pulling the plug in that, but like it's fifteen. But years. wait, wait, wait. People must be. So what are people going to do who are using it as a separate product? Well, they're getting migrated to the QuickBooks Online Payroll one. But do you have to subscribe to QuickBooks to use it? That's not fully clear. Um, there's it's this, there's a lot of confusion because there's like Intuit Online Payroll Enhanced or Full Service, and it's going to move to Payroll Core, Premium or Elite. There's a you know what I mean? Like <laughs> somebody somebody who's an expert on this should write a blog post because it's very hard to know what maps to what and what is what and you know what, what these things are called because they think you know even desktop has different names for their payroll parts. So. Anyways, the point is, the takeaway from this is this stuff takes a very long time. Right. Like if anybody expects tomorrow to have, or like you said, oh, Bill.com is going to be embedded inside of Divi and it's going to be like this seamless, like, this just takes a very long time. Let's move yeah. on. How about we do that? So smaller amounts of money. Let's talk about $12 million. Verify raised $12 million to use AI to tackle the unstructured data entry market. And David, this is another one where I'd love to get your opinion because you worked at Auto Entry for a while. Oh, I, so I you... know the these guys very well. Um, they used to yeah. come. I used to run a developer Friday morning hangout, and the two founders of this company would just come there every Friday to learn about QuickBooks integrations. And then they slowly built this. It used to be called a product called like Boxy IQ, and they've been, they've just been chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And they, um, you know, take a photo of a receipt. And now they, I think they scan bills as well. Um, they also started doing a little time tracking and some, like it's a little gray. The app is a little bit of a super app. <laughs> it does a lot of small things um, and they just keep chipping away. It's actually, uh, it's cool to see them take this new, this new step. So this is Verify or Verify, V-E-R-Y-F-I.com. Documents into data in seconds, accuracy and speed surpassing humans. This is uh, the headline on their website. And like you said, David, they do quite a, a bit of stuff. Receipt processing, OCR, expense management, time tracking. They've got a portal for accountants and bookkeepers. They have their own API for OCR. Basically, one of the things that's neat about them is they, they've really bought into the or built the AI into this. And Ernest, who is one of the founders, has always been uh, very anti-bots. So I've always gotten along with Ernest. Uh, he says, everything in Verify is done by a computer. There's no humans on the back end that are you know, doing this and pretending to be the computer. So that's great. But I actually don't think people care. And I've told this to him before because they used to make these videos where it showed how long, if you take a photo with their app on your phone of a receipt, and then you took a photo in Expensify. Basically, you're, you're at a bar or you're at a restaurant, you take a photo of the receipt, you put the receipt, throw the receipt in the trash, you put it in your pocket, you put your phone in your pocket. Then you go out to the office five days from now. Like nobody cares if it took eight <laughs> seconds or two and a half minutes to scan the receipt. And, and so it, 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 it's like, there's a push of tech, but what's, what's interesting about it is I think what they do a little bit differently is a lot of places it's you take a photo of the receipt, it uploads to the cloud. I think their iOS app, their apps actually have the OCR running locally. 
I'm not positive, but, and I think that's why it's so much faster. Uh, like they, they just, they don't, it doesn't upload, go to server, go to process this, 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 this. It just instantly starts scanning that. <laughs> or you mean upload and then go to the Philippines. Or wherever it goes, and yes, then, yes, yes. To, to, to do that. <laughs> and then yeah. get processed by a human. So, yeah. so there's, well, it's, 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 it's an interesting play. The app does a lot of different things um, because I think they started getting into time tracking. They even got into some sort of like client management stuff. I think they're, they're, they're really good engineers. And they're, they're solving problems and just trying to still try, I think, trying to figure out where it really fits in in the bigger picture. So they, they got their 12 million Series A. And oh, by the way, they are hiring a revenue accountant. So if you're interested in working at a startup and you're an accountant and you want to help them with all their subscription revenue and, and tracking all that, go check out Verify and their job postings. What else you got, David? So Chime. Remember we talked about Chime before? They're one of these neobanks. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we talked about Chime because they when they crashed and they were down in like a few months back and they weren't responding. But but this is one of those online banks that and they were used for fraud. A lot of people were spinning up a bank account. This is one of the ones that people were using to instantly spin up a bank account. You now have an, an account and a routing number, right? You have your routing number and your bank account number. Now you go do fraud, PPP fraud, and that's they donate the money to Chime and then you put or donate they deposit the money to your Chime account and then you take the money out and you're, you're off scot free. So Chime, but Chime has a crazy growth, right? Super, super crazy growth. But the state of California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation has settled uh, a court agreement with Chime where they're no longer allowed to use the word bank. Because they're not a chartered bank. They're not a chartered bank. And this is like the, we talked about this before, sometimes like these um, overruling or overbearing regulations, right? We talked about the with the who can use the word accountant or be a CPA, right? Um, and this government regulation. I mean, if you're not a licensed CPA, you probably shouldn't be using the term CPA. I mean, if you're not a chartered bank, you probably shouldn't be using the term bank. So just go into some of the details on this. So they um, can't say the word bank anymore, um, but they also can't use the banking derivative words, right? And they have like to what? declare uh, banking. Oh, got they, it. They can't use words like that. And they've agreed to um, review their entire website according to the, um, and change everything. They have to do explain that technically they're not a bank. They have to update to any testimonials where like maybe a customer was like, Chime is a great bank. All those reviews have to be stripped and changed that are online and their Google results, um, they're all their ads. Any other ads they have to fix. Um, they have to put in testing policies and procedures to comply with these rules and submit a report for compliance on June 15th, then again the following year. So it's really interesting because at some level, they can't say the word bank, but from a, as a function, if you have a place that has a balance of your money stored, that is a bank. Well, you can't call it that. You know, your Starbucks card is not a bank account. It's okay. A- so, so, so... <laughs> I mean, if, if I was Chime, and this is the things Microsoft used to do back in the day, they, they mm-hmm. get all the tech companies together and like, we're going to create some standard and they create some verbiage, remember, like multimedia PC, right? And things like this, like Chime, Square, all these fintechs should just get together and create a new word. A new word. And just tell the banks to stuck it, stick it. Uh, <laughs> That'd be great until uh, all of the uh, deposit holders lose their money because these neobanks go under and their accounts aren't insured by the FDIC. I've got one more story before we close things out. Uh, This is a fun one. So my former employer, Flowcast, maker of clothes management software, has released an accounting coloring book ahead of tax day. And it's it's pretty great. Um, I would suggest that if you like coloring, if you want to relax while you're um, in the middle of busy season, you just want something to do while you're sitting on that call or taking that CPE course that you have to sit in front of your computer to, to complete. Download the world's greatest accounting coloring book that you never knew you needed. That's the name of this. It portrays various moments in accounting history, including the introduction of double entry bookkeeping by Italian mathematician Luca Piccioli, the tax evasion sentencing of gangster Al Capone, and lesser-known events like the creation of bubblegum by accountant Walter Demar, the early accounting careers of rock stars Mick Jagger and Robert Plant and actor Randolph Scott, and the brief NHL career of accountant Scott Foster. 
Remember talking about Scott Foster? Yeah, he played one game as a goalie. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. Black, Chicago Blackhawks. So you can uh, download this coloring book over at flowcast.com, F L O Q A S T.com slash peace of mind. So, so just take a, a step back here. <laughs> I just want to like make sure I'm connecting the dots here. So, uh-huh. Flowcast software is really for bigger enterprises where you have to consolidate lots of things to close the books. Enterprise is like, to me, anyway, I guess, well, this is a whole debate, but Flowcast is like mid-sized businesses. And so to me, that means when, when we talk about mid-sized businesses on the show, like I'm always thinking of there's a head of finance or a corporate controller, and there's a team of accountants. Like the business has to be big That's enough. That's why I think about that. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a controller where they actually have to, quote unquote, close the books and like with multiple tools and consolidations, like, like it's a bigger business. Yeah, but like less than 500 employees. But then you get okay, like, okay. like to enterprise, like we're talking Walmart and Target yes, yes, and you know, okay, Intel and yeah. This is so, pre-enterprise, mid-size, mid, mid, mid yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, that's what I'm thinking. Sorry, what okay. were you saying? Okay, so I'm just thinking like who, the person that's going to make a purchase decision on Flowcast is yeah. probably CFO or controller. Like Usually they a have controller. have a staff. Is that person, you know, gonna like, I don't know. There's just, obviously it gets attention. You're talking about it. We're talking about it on the podcast, but like, does this really move their marketing needle? If, if it just feels like a, it almost feels unprofessional or silly for, <laughs> for the people they're targeting their product at. I don't know. It's just my take. So I, I like it. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I would have done when I was working there. Um, is this really your idea, Blake? And it was just on a no, back no, shelf this, somewhere and they finally no. did it? <laughs> no, this wasn't actually. Right. Um, I'm impressed. So I, I don't know. I think that a lot of times in accounting and finance, we take ourselves too seriously. Yes. And and then vendors think that's the way they have to behave. And they create boring stuff like people in suits sitting around talking about I don't know, just nonsense. And I don't know. I think this is fun. Like accountants are people. We like to relax. So why not Why not relax with a coloring book for accountants? There's also a 12-minute guided meditation video called Accounting for Peace of Mind, complete with soothing music and images to remind accountants to take a deep breath during stressful days of tax season and financial statement audits. So here, here's <laughs> how, if I, if I was Flowcast, because Flowcast is all about Excel, right? And having... It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's about it's about um, tying together all your Excel workbooks. Okay, so for your clothes. So, yeah. so here's how I would have designed this. I would have done like a paint by number in Excel, and 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 basically have a Excel template where everything's these teeny squares, and each one has different numbers. And the accountant can sit there in Excel and just right mouse click and change the color of each of those. And when they're done, they'd have a picture of paint by number right in Excel. So, David, your idea of relaxing is for accountants to spend more time in the app that they use ninety percent of the day. And then there'd be a nice picture. It'd be right there in Excel. It's a possibility. I think we should take, we should get away from the computer a little bit, you know, color. All right. All right okay, okay, pencils. So is this something I get sent to me or is this a PDF I got to download? Download the PDF. And then uh, unless you're at the IRS, you can print it. All right. If you're at the IRS, you're out of ink, you can't right? Print, As you can't discussed. print it. You can't print it. And well, then, um, I think we beat this to death now, huh? David, if people want to get in touch with you, in between episodes, where can they go? The easiest way is on all the socials. I'm at David Leary. Um, if you're on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot. I am at Blake T. Oliver. That's T is in taxes. If you want to leave us a review, we really appreciate those. You can do that in Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, podchaser.com. Look for Cloud Accounting Podcast. Write us a review and we'll read it on the air. And if you want to give us a call, we have a number you can dial. Leave us a voicemail. It's 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. We listen to all of those, and we will also likely play that on the air. So uh, give us a message. Let us know what you think about these stories or anything else. That's it for me this week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Time for the classifieds. BKX is the community event only for bookkeeping professionals. The BKX conference hosted by the Digital Bookkeeper Association is June 22nd through the 24th in Las Vegas. This year will include keynote speaker Aaron Brockovich. Both in-person and virtual tickets are available. And as a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, you can receive 15% off when you apply the promo code CLOUD15 at checkout. All lowercase letters, that's CLOUD15. 
Visit bkx.com to learn more and register. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Roger Rui calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.